a quick message before we get into this week's episode. For longtime listeners of the show, you know that I have been very reluctant to add sponsors and to add recommendations to our podcast. Our priority is to you, to the writers and to the creators. And so we've held off to make sure that we can find partnerships that we feel good about and products that I can honestly recommend. And that's why I'm so excited to recommend this week's sponsor to you, Quillbot.com, Q-U-I-L-L-B-O-T.com. This is a tool that I am personally using to build a newsletter that I haven't announced yet, but it's it's been hugely beneficial for me. So Quillbot is a paraphrasing tool. And the way that I'm using it is I'm scrubbing long form articles that are very, very in-depth with information that I know my audience will really value and appreciate. And I copy that content and I paste it into Quillbot. And Quillbot paraphrases all of the text into a couple sentences, sometimes a couple paragraphs to really shorten and pack in the information, which allows me to better piece this information into a curated newsletter that I am sending out weekly. For people that listen, you know that I really, really believe in the newsletter space. We believe that newsletters are great businesses to start and and you should start one. If you want to get involved in online media and start creating a business for yourself, a newsletter is a great place to start. And this tool, Quillbot, has been so beneficial for me in building this curated newsletter that I'm working on. It makes it so that I can jam pack a lot of information into not a lot of space. And it really, really has helped me format my newsletter and provide the information to my readers in a way that I know they enjoy, in a way that I know they can quickly digest, in a way that I feel really proud about. So once again, check out this week's sponsor, Quillbot.com, Q-U-I-L-L-B-O-T.com. It's easy to sign up and tell them that Tim sent you. All right, let's get on to the show. We're live. Do you want to start? <laughs> you want me to start? <laughs> I'll start. Today we're going to tell you Today we're gonna we're gonna tell you how to actually get work as a writer, and I'm excited for this conversation, man. Because so we're once again riffing on a great article that was published in the Copy Blogger newsletter. The article itself was all about how to build a writer portfolio that people like, which you know I think it's a great piece, and there's a lot of advice in there that's really good if somebody's specifically trying to write to build a portfolio. Unlike last week, I don't think we're going to go through a lot of examples of portfolios. Instead, what we wanted to sit down and talk through is what do people actually look for when they're hiring writers? Because this is something Tim and I both do and have both done several times in the past. So the idea for this episode is like, if you're somebody who really wants to actually make a living freelance writing, what do you really need to have in place? How do you get attention and... How do you land the deal? That's basically what we're going to talk about, right? I think you teed it up perfectly. When we were going through the article, the the, the purpose of the article was to create step-by-step options for somebody that is looking to at least get some concrete examples going with their writer portfolio. 
And this is very, very important. But when we were chatting a little bit before we started recording, we also decided like, hey, this is cool from tactically, but let's expand upon it a little bit and talk about some of the steps you can take to really like market yourself as a writer and put yourself out there to get business. So does that include a, a portfolio of your writing? Yeah, of course it does. Are there other things you can do to, to put yourself out there? Of course there are. Ethan and I have both hired a ton of writers. Um, I can't totally speak for you, Ethan, but years and years ago, I did freelance writing and I had to work to, to pick up gigs. Did you ever do freelance writing? I'm sure you I did. I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I did. My first writing gig ever was freelance writing uh, that I found on Craigslist. And it was not great. Yeah, all of the yeah. Dude, Craigslist is such a dope business. You know, they still have like 20 employees. You're huge. They're huge. So cool. Yeah. So yeah, we should talk, we'll talk through all of that. But I think the big takeaway here is like there, there, there is a path to making a living as a freelance writer. Let's separate some of what you actually need from some of what you may not. And we're just going to riff on our experience actually paying people to do this and what 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 makes the difference in our eyes. So you've mentioned that you've hired a, a ton of writers. I've hired a handful. Um, for you, can you just give people some context on what those writers were for? I mean, what companies and specifically what kind of work were they doing? Just so people have a little bit of an idea of exactly what kind of writing you've hired for. This is a great place to start because I'm going to have to pull back the curtain a little bit and, and go deep. Because I want people to understand that there are levels of skill in freelance writing. And I wouldn't even necessarily say levels of skill. That's like one of the things that's so interesting about it. There's great writers who get paid a little, and there's great writers who get paid a lot. And so there's levels of compensation that you can move up. Did you hear that? No. No? <laughs> My kid's right at the door. He just yelled. Uh, all right, so there's levels of compensation that you can move up simply by positioning yourself differently. So what does that look like? Well, the first step, although I don't like it, I think it's an important step. The first step is to save your writing, save maybe a folder of Google Docs, and be able to tap into some of the things that you've done. And as you pitch people, on LinkedIn maybe, or on Craigslist or, or whatever the case may be, it's good to just have samples of, of what you've done, what you've done. So that's, that's level one, right? Level two is actual published work that you can show people. And when you've been, when you've reached level one, when you've talked yourself into the position of having your work published on somebody else's website uh, on freelance, like always have the author bio. Ghostwriting is, is plenty lucrative as well. And I'm not saying that you should never not ghostwrite, but like make sure that you have some work out there that your name is attached to. Because now all of a sudden you have, you've, you've leveled up from having writing samples in Google Docs that you can send people to actual published work. And then you can attach your name to the brand name that you've put out there. Okay, so that's level two. And then level three 
which is the writers that I hire that basically like demand money and start telling me what they need from me. Those are people that have tangible results attached to the writing, attached to the brand. So the, the, the three stages, and I know this isn't like science. I haven't created like a fancy PDF with a pyramid or anything like that. But the three stages are as such. Write and have samples of it. Have the actual writing so that people can read your work and get an idea of what your writing is like. Stage two is get published and then have examples of your published work with your name in the byline and the author byline. And then stage three is is elevate yourself to a position where you can prove that the writing that you have published for a client has created such and such and such result. So my, my, what the hell are they called? Chief, Chief editing officer? What's going on here? What's the, what's that position? I've never Editor heard that before. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what do they call it? CEO? Chef? Chief editing officer? Chief editing officer. We definitely have to clip that as a meme. Um, so my editor in chief, this is exactly how I found her. She had been published on a lot of, um, it was more mental health websites, but her, her work was, was mental health related and she had bios on all of it. And when I approached her, she was able to come back to me with some, some keyword rankings, um, some social media shares, really that that's what she had. She had a screenshot of some of the keyword rankings, but she had a whole folder of like, yeah, my work has been shared this many times and look at all the attention I was able to get for my client. And when she dropped that on me, I was just like, okay, how much do you yeah. need? You know? And then yeah. she told me, I was like, okay, cool. When do you start? Yeah. That's, that, that's how it works, man. You have to put yourself in that position to really, really make money. Yeah, I agree with that. There's something that you're saying here, which I think is important for people to key in on. Again, if they want to get into the like high five and six figure earning zone with writing. And that is that when you earn that kind of money as a writer, most of the time it's because you're helping your writing is helping somebody else make money. So you're, you're doing, you're marketing, you're a marketer. And I, um, I think there's this thing in the writing world where a lot of people are kind of precious about writing and they want to, they want to believe that what they're creating is like pure and it's not about money and stuff like that. And that's fine, but you have to realize, like, that. Uh, first of all, writing for money or writing in order to produce money doesn't automatically make the writing less important. It will typically make you more broke. But if you really want to make money, I think you, it's it's just really important to internalize the idea that you you basically have to do one of two things: you have to command an enormous audience of people who really want what you have to say. This is like the JK Rowling type thing, right? She's not making money or she, her books are not, are not marketing. They're stories, but she has an enormous audience and that's why she's able to make it work. Um, or you're using writing as a, a way to make somebody else money. And that is like the quickest, easiest path to uh, viable living as a writer. Um, and it doesn't have to mean that you're selling out either, right? You just have to find brands and companies that whose like worldview aligns with yours and whose mission you want to support with your writing. So recognizing that you are a marketer at the end of the day is a really important thing if you want to make a living as a writer. And then if you're going to do that, like what Tim said, collect proof that your marketing works. 
And I thought that was such a great tip. It's something you guys cover in the article, just screenshots of traffic, rankings, all those kinds of things, shares, testimonials or feedback, comments on the article, stuff like that. How your client's follower count goes up over time when you're publishing your content. Um, all those things are super important because, and, and the reason they're important is because that's what people like Tim and I are looking for when we're trying to hire for this, right? So, um, if I'm hiring somebody to work on the content team at Hampton, this is actually something that we're going through right now. So currently we publish one blog article per week. Um, and the, and we actually have a lot more than that, that are like ready to publish, but we're in this phase right now where our thesis is that distribution is more important than just publishing, right? So the website is still new. We're still kind of scrapping for all the traffic that we get. So just publishing articles is not really going to do us very much help. What we need to be doing is publishing great work and then sharing it all over the place. So we only publish one article per week and uh, I spend a lot of my time prepping social media. But we have a, a bunch more content I'd love to get out the door. And so I'm currently hiring for this role to bring somebody on and like help get more content prepped to publish so that I can stop doing all the prep and focus my time on the distribution and handle more articles to distrib distribute. At the end of the day, that is 100% aligned with our marketing goals. I don't, I'm not looking for an artist. I'm looking for somebody who understands what I'm trying to do with the business and has experience to help there. And so if you can put yourself in a position where you're clearly showing that that's what you do, that's like fastest way to make a living in the writing game. Great. So what do you think, what do you think that, okay, this is like a perfect way to transition to what I wanted to talk about next, because it's very easy to say, have a portfolio of your writing, Step one, step two, get your work published out there. You know, step three, have proof. But I do believe the packaging really, really matters. And I know this is true because I, well, you're not on LinkedIn the same way that I am, but man, I get people sending me like, hey, here's a sample of my writing on LinkedIn all the time. And there's only so many that, that I can like open and respond to and it's a little bit of a sidebar. I'm always worried that like people think I'm just ignoring them, but it's not that. Like I just I don't have time to pay attention to all of this. And so I have found a couple examples, mainly another example of Christina, the the editor in chief. She was so cool how she did it. She has a website and on the website there's a homepage which clearly describes like who she is and what her services are, and then she had a blog and then she had my work and the my work section was a static page. And the page was nothing but bullet points that showed the article and then underneath it, or excuse me, at, at the end, the, the bullet points was the title of the article and the title of the article was turned into the hyperlink so that you could actually click it and see her work. And then at the end of the hyperlink, she had the brand name in parentheses so that you could see like, oh, clear as day that she was attached to pretty big name brands within the space. And so the, the point I'm trying to make is, <clears throat> yes, these things tactically do make sense with like this three-step process. But what I, I think it's really, really important for writers who 
as you hinted on, are very much about the craft, right? Like I shouldn't have to present myself. This is just the story. Like I'm all about, I'm all about the work. Nothing else is important to me. I think that's a huge mistake. I don't think it has to be like the next Forbes. You don't have to spend $10,000 on a website by having a homepage, having a blog to see some of your personal stuff and, you know, maybe a way for you to, to market yourself as well. And then I really loved this way that she had a my work section on the navigation bar. And when you clicked on my work, it was just a static page that listed all of the work that she's done. And I could click on all of them individually. And at the end of the hyperlink in the parentheses, it showed the actual brand that she was published on. So I got everything I wanted right then and there. And uh, I was, it was hugely influential about me considering her for, for the position. And, and that's just killing yeah. So you said you found her via other things that you saw. So you saw her first and you liked her work that you'd seen out in the wild. You checked her out, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So I didn't find her through the website, but I still went to her website just to dig in a little bit deeper. That was the real selling point. Well, I think what's interesting is, is you're touching on an important note here, which is that there are a few ways that writers end up connecting with companies like this. So what you're describing is similar to how Steph Smith got hired at The Hustle by Sam Parr. He saw one of her articles floating around out in the wild, read it, and said, wow, this is really good. And then he like pursued her and said, I, you know, I want you to come right here. And I believe he did that with the first couple writers who really... Um, kind of like made a big difference at that company. So another another uh, name is um, Zach. Oh my God, I can never remember his last name. And Zach, Sunday Story Zach. He writes all the Sunday stories. Uh, and okay, yeah. he's an incredible writer and probably one of the more experienced journalists on the team. Actually came from like a legitimate journalist background. And another person that Sam found uh, through his work out in public. And so... Your point about having a byline is a good one, uh, but that is that's one way, right? So is somebody finding you via your work. Um, if you want to reverse that, I think when it comes to like outreach, there are a few rungs to the ladder that we could talk about too. So for me, like when I first got hired at the hustle, I got lucky. I I basically had. Steph and I worked together at our last company. So when she went to work at The Hustle, uh, we both left our last company at roughly the same time. When I left, I made it clear that I was leaving to go figure out how to become a writer. And she went to The Hustle. Several months passed. We just kind of kept in loose contact. And it was actually her husband who recommended me for a job when she was trying to fill a role. And she ended up reaching back out. And that was kind of how I got my shot at that company. So I think the the very first like bottom rung of the ladder is um, I I would say networking, but it's really more like letting your network know that this is something that you want to do writing, right? They have to know that you want to write and then they'll kind of have their eyes and ears open for opportunities, right? So that's, that's the most basic version of this. And it happened to work for me. I think it's um, probably the longest shot, right? But it's also, that is how I got my job. I'm not going to pretend like I did cold outreach to the hustle and it worked. I got I got kind of lucky. But that is how you could 
increase the likelihood of running into that kind of luck. Your, your network's got to know that you want to be working as a writer. The second, I would say, is like sort of the give mentality, right? So this would be if you know a company that you really want to work for, uh, you can create content that you think would be a great fit for them and send it to them first. This is, and this, I was thinking about this when you were talking because you were talking about how much inbound you get. And I would have to believe, you can tell me if this is true or not, most of that stuff gets ignored because it's not an actual fit for what you're trying to do every day. But if somebody sent you a perfect fit for what you were trying to do, it would probably catch your eye enough to at least give you, like, warrant a look, right? That's happened. Yeah? Yeah, for sure. And, man, you said two things that I really want to go back to. So this is me reminding myself to come back to it. But on this, this particular point, I'm always so fascinated with me as somebody that is so aware of hmm, the fact that I'm being marketed to. And I think I'm a little bit jady, jaded with some of the emails that I get. Like, yeah, 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 shut up, shut up, shut up, whatever. And still, every once in a while, there's an email that comes around. I'm like, huh, what's this? Like, let me check this out, right? Everybody is still human. Everybody can still be approached in the right way. Um, and so, yeah, that has absolutely happened to me. Uh, it happened with, with Sober Nation. Um, and this person stopped writing a little while ago, but actually turned into like a weekly columnist. I don't, we didn't have a column, you know, but like a, a weekly writer. She, she was c constantly publishing her work on Sober Nation. Um, and it was all because she wrote a piece basically that said like, hey, I, I, I love your site. I wrote this for you. If you want to publish it, feel free. Just put my name in the author bio. And then like I had to reach out to her because since Sober Nation is on WordPress, the picture in the author bio is on Gravatar, right? Like you don't actually put your picture in there. You have to put your picture on another uh, little WordPress app. So the, in the author bio, the, the picture goes there. She's like, hey, I'd love to do this, but I need, your, I need your Gravatar email so that I can use that email to create your author account so that your picture shows up. And so through that one little email, she was paid to write every week. Um, I'm sure I wasn't her only client, but nonetheless, it was like a really good example. Okay. And then coming back to the other part that you touched on, you slid over it a little bit, but I think this is so, so freaking important. I think this is so important because a lot of writers get discouraged and they think I'm never gonna, that they see being a freelance writer as like this thing where all of a sudden I'm not one. And then all of a sudden I am one. And now that I am one, like I can start being a freelance writer, but think about your experience, this one moment and this one chance that you took, or I shouldn't even say chance you took this one, like moment for you to put yourself out there is a better way to say it. Look at all what that led to. You got a job mm -hmm. at the hustle. You walked through the house for like two years. Then you were like, you know, a big wig at trends. And now you're, and you and I met through yep. one of the first weeks or something that you were at the hustle when you ran that, um, yeah. that, uh, yeah. that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That webinar session, whatever it was. And I'll never forget you, uh, you called back to this one kid and you called, you named his business the wrong business and <laughs> he instantly corrected you. And I kind of saw you do like one of these face laugh things where you're like, oh yeah, that's what I meant. 
Um, and I was yeah. honest with when you did that, I was kind of <laughs> like, oh, I like that kid. Well, that's funny because, yeah, that uh, I'm not, I don't remember the exact situation, but I remember the call and everybody on that call was like a big deal. So we had you, we had Pop, we had Paulina, we had, I think Jack Butcher was there. I forget everybody that was there, but we had specifically right. reached out to them because they were all big deals in media. So yeah, any any misstating of somebody's company would have been like a total uh, screw up. Um, but yeah, yeah, it did. It, it led to a whole bunch of opportunities. So wh what were you getting at there in terms of like the uh, the overwhelm that people feel when they're thinking about being a freelance writer? Yeah, you never know what's going to happen. Mm. Like, and I, I really, really mean that. That's life advice just as much as it's like real business advice to grow your your writing portfolio. And, and this is why it gets harder when you get bigger because you can't say yes to everybody. But this is why I've always been like anti protect your time, say no, don't go on coffee meetings. Like some of the best opportunities that ever happened in my life have been from, I mean, even using the same example, that thing that you and I did, the the webinar event that, that we did, it was just a chance in the dark. I saw you guys posted about it. I was like, oh yeah, cool. I'll do that. Let me check it out. I had plenty of other stuff I could do, but I said, yeah, sure. Let me check it out. And so the the point I'm trying to make, however life coachy it sounds is take chances on yourself like yes reach out to that person who you think is way too popular for you like yes send that dm yes make a a loom video about how you think you can help somebody and and send it to that person that you think is never going to pay attention to you because you just you never know and now look we're two years into doing this podcast together you're traveling the world with Hampton. You're basically like one of the most popular people on Twitter. All of that just because you <laughs> because you reached out to Steph and said, hey, I want to get into writing. Yeah, I, uh, I'll add one thing to that. Too. I think you're, you're exactly right. The one thing I would add is that it's not always going to look like an opportunity that you want either. So when Steph reached out to me about it, I was at a place in my career where I was like completely burnt out on startups. And she said, hey, do you want to come write for a company called The Hustle, like in a thing called Trends? And I'm like, no, that doesn't sound like fun at all. It sounds like 0% fun. I don't want to do any of that. And then, you know, this is pretty common for writing gigs is you'll go through some sort of like test piece. And I had invested like a good amount of time in writing what I thought was like a pretty good. So for Trends, our, our whole job was to go find market opportunities that, you know, people um, weren't talking about yet, but that had like a lot of potential to build businesses around. And I spent a bunch of time trying to do it. And the first several ideas that I sent to the editor, he basically said like, I think you could do better. Maybe go back to the drawing board and try this again. And I remember this was right when COVID was kicking off. I was going to a coffee shop and I'm like, should I even, like, should I even bother doing this? I just don't, I don't, like, I've already dumped hours and hours and hours into trying to do this, and I just don't, I don't think I'm good at this, I'm not sure I enjoy this, whatever it was, took a shot, ended up, and it turned out, you know, I had kind of an aptitude for it, and um, they gave me a shot, and as you said, it's turned into basically my entire career now. I built my career on that chance that I didn't even think I really wanted, so I definitely agree with you that you got to put yourself out there and try a lot of stuff and, until something starts to grab. And then 
you know, it's not always going to look exactly the way that you thought in the beginning. But the reality is like, <laughs> I'm so glad that I, I don't even remember now why I decided to stick with it early, early, early. But I'm so glad that I did because it opened up everything to me. Like I now understand, not only have I did I love the work that we ended up doing at Trends for a long time and it has parlayed into all these other great opportunities, but it's allowed me to um, an insight into how the entire industry works that I, I now feel like I could replicate that success um, over again if I ever needed to. So that's a great point. Um, try a lot and then just know that it's not always going to look like your dream job on the surface, but it still might even be your dream job. You just got to like pursue things far enough to figure out whether or not they work. Um, the last thing, so that's, that's, that's the, the give section, right? Where you, you find a company that you maybe think you want to work for and you start sending them sample content. And I think one of the super important things, there's maybe two really important pieces to this. The first is to find the right person to contact. So like a mistake would be to reach out to Sam back when he was running the hustle. Maybe you could get in touch, but he was so busy that like, and he wasn't really in charge of hiring writers. You're just never going to get through that way. It would have been better just to reach out directly to the editors. And so it's important to take a second to study a, a company deep enough to understand who you're really trying to contact. The other really important part is this is when you're sending content, it's not a volume game. You're wasting your time if you're trying to just hit as many companies as possible. Um, because the reality for each of the companies that's hiring is every single, whether this is true or not, every single publication, every single company, every single team that's using content marketing has convinced themselves that their content is different from everybody else's, right? And ideally, it should be, right? That's how content marketing becomes successful. But if you just send them something that's like mediocre and doesn't hit the high points of what they see as their key differentiator, they're not going to waste their time even looking into it. So it doesn't matter how good of a writer you are. The reverse of that is if you take the time to study their content strategy and their voice and really hone in on what it is that makes them different or what they think makes them different and you send them that, Everybody at the company will talk about you. And I've got a perfect example of this. So Jacob Cohen, who currently helps run the, he's like one of the main hosts of the Hustle's daily podcast. He's been writing for the Hustle for years. He came to us right out of college. He was still in his last semester, I think. Maybe he was even looking for an internship or something like that. And instead of sending us his resume, he sent us his resume formatted and styled like an issue of the Hustle. And literally everybody who worked at the company heard about this kid and saw the resume that he sent us and the voice was perfect and the images were exactly what we tried to do. And it was just very clear from that one first interaction. He knew the business. He could do the work. He cared about it enough to like really customize his outreach. And again, he had a job before he even left college at one of the most competitive newsletters in the world, right? So it's worth it to take the time to invest here if there's one company that you really want to work for. The last stage that I think, so we've talked about alerting your network. We've talked about like a give first strategy. The last stage that I think is really helpful, and this is kind of where I find writers these days, is from like um, owning a niche, right? So 
in my case, um, I'm looking for something very specific right now. And what I really want to see is, or, or I think what, uh, what helps move the dial for me is if I find somebody who already appears to specialize in the thing that I want them to specialize in. So in this case, um, a lot of agencies do a really good job with this. So a mediocre agency will say, we're your partner in ads. Okay, great. Who's partner, right? Like, what are you going to actually help me do? A great agency will say like, oh, we take e-com companies that are doing two to $10 million in revenue and give them a Facebook ad strategy that will forex their whatever top line numbers or something like that, right? So very specific offer. And the same thing happens in writing. Like if you really want to stand out and build, this is how you, by the way, go from like six figures to hundreds of, I guess, <laughs> to even more six figures or potentially seven figures and above is you got to own a space and you own a space by getting very specific about what kind of work you deliver and then systematizing that work. So uh, a great example of this, again, I'm going to, I'll just keep giving examples from uh, people I've worked with is uh, a woman named Sean Osborne and she and I worked together at Trends. She was um, always a contract writer there and that was mostly just because of where she lived. We couldn't hire her as an employee, but a full-on Trends writer for a long time, uh, fantastic at the job. Over time, she has now decided to specialize in market research or like market writing and, and, and um, analysis, but for a very particular niche, right? So more and more, basically the same type of work we did at Trends for one particular industry. And so she's building this portfolio of work, but it's very clear to anybody in that industry when they land there, like, oh, this person gets my space. They do the exact type of work that I'm trying to have done. And way easier for her to have that conversation and demand the prices that she wants. So that's the third level, which is like figuring out what your actual niche is, specializing in that, building your portfolio around it. And that takes time. You can't do that out of the gate, right? But that is how you command those higher prices. And I think it's kind of an example of what you talked about with Christine. Christine or Christina? Christina. Christina. Yeah, man, like this can be a little bit of a dry subject, right? Because who wants to talk about building a writing portfolio? But just like last week, we can't emphasize enough how much power the writers have. I mean, I can tell you right now, if all the writers in my company decided to band together and like, I don't know, go on strike or like demand, like I'd be, I'd be so in trouble. Like they own everything because they own the voice and that's it's so important when you can see something and you just recognize immediately who it is I, i've been really humbled when people say they're like i have a voice that they recognize and it takes a lot of time to get that but but this is important because being able to market yourself as a writer will set you up for opportunities like more than you know what to do with and then inevitably, well, I shouldn't say inevitably, some people love doing freelance and will do it forever, but you'll you'll keep going up in stages. So I have I have 
two more examples that I think kind of hit this this top echelon. The first is a guy named Guillermo. Guillermo was brought up. What is his last name? I'll I'll uh, I'll link his Twitter. Can't remember his last name. He was brought up in the AWAI scene. Uh, just bought one of their programs, and then eventually became kind of like the community manager. You know how we talked about before, where there's like a select group of people who are most involved in the community, and they asked him to like voluntarily manage this community, and so he did. And then all of a sudden he got a job there and then he started doing all of their copy. And now he works completely on gratuity and nobody tells him what to do. Nobody like he doesn't even have to promote himself because his copy is so successful that he has lines of people waiting for him because he goes, Hey, look, I'll, I'll take 10% of all of your sales and I'll write this sales page and I'll even write the emails. But usually two things happen. Like you can't back out of the deal before one year and you have to pay him monthly. And so Guillermo, I think is like the last level of what happens when you can um, build up in scale to get to the point where you're so sought at, sought after that you are the rainmaker. I know that's kind of a cliche word, but that's actually the the roots of that word, the rainmaker traditionally and like old madman ad execs was the, the copywriter that could could make all of the sales. And so it's big business and you can really like set yourself up for life if you take this seriously. And then lastly, I, I probably should have done this in, in opposite order, but that, that idea of specializing, man, it takes time to specialize. And so if you're just getting started, get the reps in, man, get the reps in way more reps than you think you need and that you think are necessary, because I promise you're not as good as you think you are just like I'm 10 years into this and I'm not as good as I think I am. And I'll look back at my shit from today, three years from now, I'm like, oh, I can't believe I still made that mistake just like I do from the stuff I did three years from today. So more reps than you think you need. But when you find that specialization, man, you can just hit home runs after home runs. I know a guy who specializes in product description copy. And all he does is writes descriptions for products, but he's got it down to such a science. He's broken it up into different ways to do it for different categories. So like he knows how to do it for clothing. He knows how to do it for electronics. He's got the whole thing you could ever want. And you don't think of product descriptions as a big deal until all of a sudden you hire this guy and now your sales are up like 500%. I don't actually want to say his name because he's, he's kind of like hush hush about all of this stuff. He likes to keep it low key. But uh, he he does really well. And his entire specialization is, is product descriptions. And once you get to that point and you own something, then, you know, you're, you're, you're just set. So uh, piggyback on what you said, I think it's super important. Yeah. Yeah. So I think those are some interesting tips for getting your foot in the door or standing out. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I really look for in hiring a writer there's definitely things that are like intangibles in terms of timeliness or like english fluency as well i'll be honest or i think this really goes for whatever language it is you're writing in this is probably just as true for uh you know content marketers in cantonese as it is for english we don't have time to mess around with a, a lack of fluency 
right? If I if I try to hire somebody who doesn't have extremely good English, then I haven't really hired for that role because I still have to run everything by myself. So um, that doesn't mean you have to be like English has to be your first language. It just means you have to have conversational fluency. And I think that's really important. And I think it's also really important to show in your website and in your work that you have a high bar for the caliber of the content that you put out. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to make sure that the person hiring doesn't have to worry about that anymore. I don't, I don't want to have to manage somebody that I also still have to worry about. So if you can, if you can uh, through that website show that not only am I going to create content that delivers for you, but you're also not going to have to worry about managing me, then very high likelihood that I'm going to move to a next step, right? Let's Is there anything? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Back through some really, really quick examples. Uh, all of these are going to be linked in the show notes of the episode. So go to copybloggerpod.com and then I don't know if the URL is going to be the most recent one, but uh, we we, have, we put together really great examples of writer portfolio websites. You can see, so for instance, uh, Elise Thompson, uh, elisethompson.com. I'm a freelance writer for B2B commerce and MarTech companies. I actually have no idea what MarTech is, but this is a really great example about what you spoke about. You can find my work in, uh, so she's got social proof. And then she actually, coincidentally enough, um, oh wait, no, never mind. Next person. So this is a really great example. And then the second example is is Brent Barnhart. His portfolio is brentwrites.com. And this is what I'm talking about where this was just a, a coincidence where exactly what I was talking about with what Christina does, he does as well. So if you go to his portfolio, he just links to all of his work through hyperlinks and uh, a really cool quote at the end of it as well. And then one last thing, which I think is an important point because, you know, us arrogant Americans kind of forget sometimes. And I think like only 3% of the world speaks English or something like a lot lower. Yeah. Like a lot lower than we think. And so it's definitely possible. There's a guy named Jose Rosado. He's my buddy on Twitter. As usual, I hope I pronounced his name right. But English is his second language, and he taught himself English just because he wanted to be a copywriter and then eventually took his copywriting business and just does full-time one-on-one web and content marketing coaching. So I'll link him up as well. He he always just really inspires me, man. I, I am inspired by people who are forced to learn how to speak a language that they don't naturally speak, especially because I speak, I'm relatively fluent in German. And uh, when you learn how stupid English actually is in terms of like the rules, it's a really, really stupid language. It breaks all of its rules all of the time. And so I always have a lot of respect for people that learn English so that they can like participate in this this cool creator economy that we talk about. So we'll use him as an example. I think he's really inspiring and, and a great way to great way to end on a high note. Yeah. Well, all those will be linked up in the show notes. Um, We're just going to link straight through to the article you guys published that have all those uh, examples in there. And it is great. I mean, as somebody who's kind of like scrapped in this industry for a long time, trying to get a footing and figure out how to actually stand out, I thought you guys did a great job of breaking down this process. So definitely be sure to go check that out. Like Tim said, go to the website, sign up for the newsletter, 
We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for Hey, man. Hey, man. Copybloggerpod.com. I think we got 500 subscribers on the weekly newsletter. Copybloggerpod.com. Make sure you sign up. It's, uh, it's actually turning into a newsletter as well. So we'll let you know when we hit the big time. Um, <laughs> thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll talk to you next week.